The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Smallville Gazette, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Wednesday, March 17th, 2021. May the luck of the Irish be upon ye, I guess. And I am your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion of the CW's Superman and Lois. Please welcome my co-host, Professor X. Faith and Bagar, I Smallville. I knew you were part leprechaun. I had a feeling. Yes. Well, let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 4, which was titled Haywire and aired uh, March 16th, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. While sitting in the stands at the high school football game, Lois and Chrissy spot fish out of water Morgan Edge, conversing with Mayor Dean and Kyle Cushing. And the two see right through this insincere move to try to win over the town. Clark agrees to help Lois out at a town hall meeting, but things get tense when he finds himself pulled in two different directions. Jonathan is having mixed emotions about Jordan's newfound status. Let's check in on the ratings for Season 1, Episode 4. Superman and Lois was viewed by 1.2 million total viewers with a point two in the demo. It uh, was down a bit from last week, but I will say it is still the highest rated, at least superhero show, on the CW. So let's talk about this, Professor. A lot did happen in Episode 4. It's kind of interesting because in the previous episode we had talked about how the action was more about the family. It was more about Smallville. They were very few superheroics as far as Superman going out into the world and saving people. This one, oh, and also it did not include anything as far as the sort of like overall larger arc of Captain Luther. This one brought in the superheroics, but it's it did not feature Captain Luther. At least um, it, maybe his, um, his essence was featured in a scene, uh, but uh, his actual presence was not there, his physical presence. So let's start off actually talking about what I just referenced. We're going to focus on Sam Lane because we got a whole lot of Sam Lane in this episode. And uh, Papa Lane had a lot of opinions, whether, whether it was, uh, you know, um, uh, giving uh, uh, some advice, whether it was good advice or maybe not so good advice to the children about uh, not distracting their father or having really tense uh, discussions, arguments, heated discussions with uh, his daughter, uh, where she's calling out his toxicity as well as his parenting skills. Up to the end, when, um, you know, in essence, uh, both of the Kents, uh, Clark and Lois, were like, you need to step back. 
Um, and, and then at the end of it, uh, him sort of slightly giving the cold shoulder to Superman because Superman didn't do what he wanted. And then him starting a particular project that has uh, <laughs> the numbers that uh, um, Captain Luther provided him on the super dog tag, I guess is what I'll call it. The 7734, which um, spells hell. You know, Project Hell is uh, is it's it's always a positive, wonderful thing, isn't it, Professor? So let's talk about Sam Lane. What'd you think of him in this episode? You know, very strong. I mean, he's he's a bit antagonistic, but certainly not as much as he's traditionally been uh, in the comic books or in in other versions of the Superman story. Um, you know, he he they give him justification for everything he does. He's not just the hard ass. You know, even, you know, when he oversteps himself by telling the boys to, you know, you know, uh, you know, try to leave their dad alone. You know, he's doing that for the very good reason that, as he says, you know, your father's the most important person on the planet. You know, his time is really important. And, you know, if he's not there, people die. So, uh, you know, he they they did a good job, I think, of explaining his motivations uh, and explaining that he is a person who puts duty first. And, you know, I think having his interactions with Lois later in the episode show that that's always been his approach. And it's what led to, you know, a, a cool, uh, you know, relationship between him and his daughter uh, that she doesn't want to replicate or and doesn't want Clark to replicate with their children. So I think by presenting him as uh, as the hard ass, as, you know, uh, as a foil to what uh, Clark and Lois are trying to do with their kids, it's very effective, but they didn't present him in a cartoonish way. Um, you know, I think they're doing actually, you know, something that I'm sure we'll talk about is that, you know, most of the uh, the sort of semi-negative negative characters uh, that we've encountered so far have been humanized. Uh, you know, we, we understand their motivations. They're, they're not, with the possible exception of Morgan Edge uh, and his hench uh, thug, um, they're not cartoon characters. They are well-rounded, interesting individuals. And I think we understand why they're doing what they're doing. And, you know, again, very surprisingly grown up uh, and, and a mature uh, take on the characters for a CW of our show. Yes. All that is very true. Um, something that I wondered in this episode was because we are so used to Sam Lane being such an antagonist, whether it's in the comics or in, in whatever iteration we've seen him on television, animated, film, etc. Uh, I was wondering if this episode, because they've been treating him differently, at least thus far. Once again, it's only episode four. It's only the first season. But thus far... Sam Lane has actually been a bit refreshing, in, in my opinion, because he hasn't been the typical Sam Lane. And while he does have the contentious relationship with Lois, which is expected, and, and I guess that's his character trait and it's the quirk that's, that's part of his, um, you know, if you, if you look up his Wikipedia, I'm sure that's part of his character description, having an antagonistical relationship with his own daughter. But it, for the most part, even though it has been contentious, there is still that family bond, and he does have a relationship with the kid. He does have a relationship with Clark. So I found that really refreshing. And I did wonder in this episode, is this the episode, um, to be quite honest, ever since he got the dog tag from uh, Captain Luther, I was like, is this going to be Sam Lane eventually becoming what we've known him to be based off of just previous iterations of Sam Lane? And so far, even though I've, I've kind of felt that in this episode... I'm thinking they're not going to go that route just because the series thus far has kind of been subverting expectations. Like they have really been taking these characters in a very different direction than we've seen before. So I'm, I'm going to give a little bit of faith to the writers that they aren't going to make Sam Lane 
I don't want to say a big bad, but at least a, a stronger antagonist than he's been thus far. What are your thoughts on that, Professor? I, yeah, I don't think they're going to go big bad route. I think he might do something that ends up being detrimental to Superman. Uh, you know, this this project that he's setting up. And again, the project that he's setting up, it's not like he's setting up. You know, again, traditionally in the comics, it would be, oh, let's set this project up to kill Superman. I think what he's doing here is trying to set up a project that what if Superman isn't around? You know, who can we get to fill in? Oh, I don't know. How about Supergirl? How about Flash? How about all of those other CW verse uh, heroes that are you know running around your world? General Lane. Um so, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's something that he's he's going to be consciously doing to harm Superman, but I think it may end up having a detrimental effect, even if it's if it's not detrimental in the sense of, you know, it's something that, you know, springs up and, and attacks Superman or something like that. It might be something that, you know, uh, you know, sort of supplants him in the public eye or, uh, you know, uh, you know, damages reputation or something like that. But I think the uh, the consequences of it will be accidental rather than intentional. And I think that's the big difference between the sort of Sam Lane that we've seen in the comics, where he was, you know, uh, not quite a Lex Luthor level character, but someone who was actively out to bring down Superman. Whereas here, I think it's going to be that, you know, he's just going to try to find a way to work without Superman, and that's going to end up having problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll stay tuned. But Sam was really fascinating in this episode. I loved getting a little bit of the, the Lane mythology in this episode as well. Still no mention of Lucy. Which is interesting. I wonder if, you know, maybe a crisequence or whatever we're going to call what they're doing here on Superman and Lois, the sort of like the non-connective tissue to the rest of the CW-verse, is that Lucy Lane maybe isn't in existence, which uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, thus far, it seems like Superman and Lois really is focused on its own mythology. I kind of wonder what that means when Supergirl returns. Supergirl hasn't been airing. You know, it, it's, it has been on hiatus because of just how they've scheduled how Supergirl is going to air its final season. And we also have COVID as a, a hindrance to any sort of crossover for any of the CW shows. So I do wonder if we will get any mention of Clark or Lois on Supergirl, since clearly we haven't gotten a mention of Kara at all on Superman and Lois. Yeah, I'm sure someone somewhere over in the Berlanti verse, you know, has a uh, you know a, a day calendar set up establishing where all of these shows are because you know Black Lightning is a year in the future. Um, uh, Batwoman, presumably just a couple of months from you know uh, where things ended up. Uh, Supergirl, you know, and, and Superman, you know, uh, Superman and Lois could be uh, anytime. Really, because it, it happened some time after crisis, because, True. you know, one of the crisis was that had to take place. Um, so, you know, it could be an, an arbitrary point of time in the future. So, yeah, yeah, at some point, someone's going to have to straighten that out. But given that Supergirl is still wrapping up its last season and Flash has just been wrapping up its last season, um, you know, it, it's going to take a, you know, a, a Herculean effort to uh, to get them all in sync again. And I'm wondering whether maybe their justification for not doing that uh, is, you know, that way they're not as tied into each other. They don't have to worry about what they're doing in the other shows. True. Yeah. We have to remember that. And for those out there that have only seen Superman and Lois and didn't, hasn't seen anything else in the CW, in the CW verse on um, Supergirl, uh, when we were introduced to Clark and Lois, uh, they were, I think she was just going to have one kid. Right. And then it turned into twins but then it wasn't just that they were twins is that they were 
sort of like older twins. So um, yeah, so that was a huge crisis, and 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 I and the, yeah, as you mentioned, professor, that could be sort of like a way to just really make where whatever is going on here in Superman and Lois, it could happen anytime. It could be a year in the future, like Black Lightning is. Uh, we we still kind of don't know. So uh, yeah. And as we said after the first episode, because this is new and they're hoping to bring in, you know, they're not just trying to get the same. And the fact they're getting more viewers than any other CW verse show shows that it's it's working. I mean, uh, you know, why bring in Batwoman when, you know, seven or eight hundred thousand people who are watching Lois and Clark probably never watched Batwoman. Um, So, you know, I think it's probably smart for them to do this and and keep it a little bit hived off uh, for that reason. True. Um, I, I get what you're saying as far as does Superman and Lois need the help, but that could actually help Batwoman, to be quite honest. I mean, it's all dependent on what the oh, CW sure. thinks. And, I mean, clearly it's yeah, COVID. And if, if they had, yeah, and if they had done the crossover, I'm sure it would be a big boost for Batwoman that it could really use. Yeah. Um, but I think from their from the point of view of the the creators of this show, they don't want to get too tied down into existing mythology. And uh, and as I said, you know, because these are two, you know, absolute you know, famous pop cultural icons, uh, Superman, Lois Lane. I think they were anticipating that they would be bringing in a different audience or at least partially a different audience for this show. And I think that sort of explains why, you know, there's been no mention of, uh, of the larger CW verse. Mm. I'm sure there will be references to it, uh, you know, at some point going forward, but I doubt whether it's going to be a big deal. Correct. Yeah. COVID has been the major problem because, you know, they're just not wanting to mix the cast, the crews, etc you know because they're all of these shows are in essence in their own little bubbles so covid unfortunately halted any sort of crossover although i do think um i think diggle is still supposed to show up on all of the air well it's not arrowverse anymore all the cw verse shows supposedly the character john diggle from arrow so i guess we'll see if, if that still is going to be a thing um, so that he might be the connective tissue, especially if we do actually see him on Superman and Lois. We'll have to wait and see if, if that ends up happening. Maybe he'll be the one that sort of explains the time changes on, on the different shows. Like, Oh, I was in central city six months ago, or I was over in Gotham a year ago or something. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It'll be interesting. Um, it is just fascinating that Superman and Lois has been so successful, and it has been doing its own thing. A lot of the success is something that we did discuss uh, way back in the pilot, um, and, and even, I think, in the second episode when we were talking about how successful it was, is that Superman is such an iconic character. So is Lois Lane. I mean, the super mythos. Um, unfortunately, no shade to you at all, Supergirl, but Superman is you know, the icon, that's the, the bigger star. So, uh, and, and, and for a lot of people, there's a, there's a connection to Superman. And, uh, I think that's, what's brought in a lot of the eyeballs for the series as well. So let's talk about, since we already talked about Sam Lane, let's talk about his, well, actually, no, before, before we move on, just professor, uh, are we worried about this new project? Sam Lane has jump started. I just want to ask. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, no good will come of it. Okay, good. I I like it. Yeah, I was about to say bold prediction, but I think it's just a factual prediction. Let's be real. Okay, so let's talk about Lois. We got a lot of Lois in this episode. We got Lois versus Morgan Edge. Uh, we got uh, lawsuits threatened. We got uh, Lois getting in his face and in his assistant's face, basically saying, 
I'm not scared. You might have thought that you shook me. There's no shookage here. Uh, there was a showdown at the um, town hall meeting, uh, which unfortunately nothing ended up happening. But we'll talk about that separately. So let's first off by talking about, about, about Lois. Let's first off focus specifically on her and Morgan Edge. What did you think of the two of them together? And in particular, what do you think of Edge as, in essence, a big bad on the series? You know, an interesting, you know, again, from the Superman point of view, uh, an interesting take on the big bad. Um, you know, we're getting hints that he's, uh, he, you know, he's, because he's, you know, play, being played, you know, with very cool, uh, you know, British demeanor. He's he's so different from, you know, the Lex Luthor uh, type character that we've seen in the past, who's, you know, gnashing his teeth and I'll destroy you, Superman. Uh, you know, there's no sense that Morgan Edge particularly cares about Superman uh, so far. He's, you know, in it for the money and in it for, you know, as we'll find out, something that's in Smallville. Um, so it seems that he's more of a an adversary for Lois, um, even though it, he does obviously have uh, super-powered uh, hench thugs of his own. Um, so I'm liking that. I'm liking that, you know, they're, they're not overplaying it. They're not giving us too much about him. You know, uh, he didn't do the sort of, you know, sitting down with, you know, his adversary or kidnap her and, and talk to her or anything like that. And also he's smart enough because, you know, even though, yes, Lois's uh, car did uh, burst into flames and even though a superpowered person showed up to attack her and uh, Sharon, um, she has no proof that Morgan Edge was involved. Um, you know, so this shows that, you know, he's not dumb. Uh, you know, he he knows what he's doing and, uh, you know, he's uh, he's by the end of the episode accomplished his goal. So I'm liking him not. I'm liking in the sense of liking. I'm liking how they're presenting him, you know, not as a, a cartoon villain, you know, compared to a lot of the uh, the big bads that we've seen in Arrowverse shows. You know, he's not chewing the scenery. He's not, uh, you know, uh, pontificating or anything like that. He's just quietly and effectively going about his business. Yes. And, uh, and I do think, mm -hmm. by the way, that uh, the, the, the Trump comparisons that we made before uh, were made more overt in this episode. Oh, well, there was that. As well, yes. Uh, I'm enjoying Morgan Edge. I'm enjoying the actor's take on the character. He is a threat. He's a fascinating threat. He's uh, in essence Lois's big bad, and uh, I'm I'm incredibly fascinated by him. I'm, I'm loving seeing him as this fish out of water with nefarious plans for this small town. Um, I didn't really understand him sort of calling Lois out, like, well, I wonder why a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist is back in Smallville. I'm like, if you just do research on her, you'll find out that her husband is from the town. So it, it you know, it was like, um, like, Lois, like, read him the business. Like, she was, like, on point with what she was saying to him and, like, all the allegations and that kind of stuff. So what he said, like, I wonder if I start digging about why you're here. You're going to find out that my husband's father, not father, my husband's mother died and we took over their farm. Like, I, you know, like, I didn't really understand what that was. It did give Lois a good but singer back. A differently. Oh, well, tell me. Oh, I thought it was uh, that he was basically, you know, he was saying, you know, uh, Lois has been nominated for the Pulitzer or shortlisted for the Pulitzer twice, um, you know, uh, but basically what he's saying is your best days are behind you. You're not with the Daily Planet anymore. You're nobody. Oh, well, well, yeah, no, no, no. I did get that, but I didn't under, I don't know. It just seemed like, cause he was like, well, maybe if we keep on digging, like, it just seemed a little weird that he just found it so um, I did get the shade 
uh, about like you're a has-been. But um, the, the, where he was like, well, keep digging as to why you came back to town. Like, I just thought that was a little weird because I feel like their cover story is, is like the best, you know. The mother died. We're taking over the farm. And, you know, it, it didn't seem all that weird to me. She did get a good line back like, well, you know, is, is that a threat? And, like, yeah, it was, it was good. It was a nice little moment for Lois. So, uh, moving on. Well, before I move on, let's actually finish up with Morgan Edge. So, at the tail end of his storyline is that he gets the mine, and uh, we find out the element that, in essence, he's using to create, at least I'm assuming, his powered people, which is called X-Kryptonite. Is that something comic book related, or is this something new for the show, Professor? X-Kryptonite? I'm not familiar with it. There's a host of different colored uh, kryptonites uh, dating back to the, the Golden Age of Superman, all of which had different effects, uh, some of which we saw in Smallville as well. Um, and uh, in Smallville, I think they treated them fairly um, uh, faithfully to the comics. Uh, I'm not familiar with it, but uh, that, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not as up on the, the Superman mythos over the past five or ten years as I am over you know, the, the Golden Silver Age. Okay. All right. Well, it exists on the show, and uh, we're all assuming that this is how his sort of powered hench received their powers, and especially once he looked at his assistant and was like, well, I do have an eye for talent. Speaking of his eye, we'll talk about that in a moment. We will talk about all of that with Lana and uh, her hubby. But let's continue on with Lois, because Lois does have a moment with Lana. So she had asked Clark to show up because, of course, Smallville's golden child will be, could be the person that sways everybody to vote against um, uh, Edge getting the mining rights and that sort of thing. Unfortunately, Clark it was dealing with some superheroics, so he could not. Uh, so uh, Lois needed uh, a night out, and, and Lana was like, let's have a girls' night out. We'll get some drinks and that sort of thing. Before the girls' night out, there was a, um, let's call it a heated moment between the couple, uh, the Kents, uh, where, uh, in essence, Lois uh, spoke her mind and, uh, you know, was very, actually, um, very understanding of Clark's superheroics, but it didn't change the way that she felt. And so she vented about how she was feeling at the time and she felt like in essence she's the the she's at the bottom of the totem pole like there's you know the world there's you know kids and smallville and everything else and sam lane and she's at the bottom and uh she just doesn't feel like she's one of clark's top priorities anymore what did we think of this? Now, I will say, at the end of the episode, the couple did make up, and, and Clark did, uh, you know, create a date night atmosphere with a whole lot of candles and lights in uh, the barn, which was adorable. So it was nice to see Mommy and Daddy happy by the end of the episode. Uh, but what did we think of, of Lois's, um, in essence, her complaints? It, did you, well, I'm not even going to ask that because I feel like we both feel that they were justified. But what did we think of how Lois brought them up? Oh, it was a beautifully done scene. You know, I've said before, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really liking that this show is taking a very mature, uh, you know, grown-up approach 
uh, to these things. Whereas, you know, uh, on other Arrowverse shows, Arrow, <clears throat> you know, there would have been sullen, you know, not <laughs> talking about it and letting things fester for six or eight episodes, uh, you know, when a simple conversation would have dealt with it. You know, she has a justification for how she feels. She really needed this and Clark didn't come through, but she also knows that it's not Clark's fault. Clark has other very important things to do. And, you know, I said before, I think what they're trying to do is show the, the stresses that, you know, Clark and Lois are dealing with, you know, in relation to their relationship relationship in relation to their jobs, in relation to uh, their kids are, you know, mirrors in a heightened superheroic sense for what other people are going through in similar situations. So I think a lot of people who've been married for a while, you know, uh, one of the partners can easily start to feel that, you know, uh, work is more important or the kids are more important or other things are more important than me. And now in Lois's case, you know, she realizes that is the case, but she intellectually realizes that, you know, actually it is more important, um, but you're still going to have the feelings. And she acknowledged that, you know, by saying that, you know, uh, this is how I'm feeling right now. By tomorrow, I'm probably going to be feel sorry for you saying this um, because, again, you know, Lois has been dealing with this for some time. This this obviously would not be the first time uh, that uh, that something has come up of a uh, world saving or supervillain defeating nature uh, that has gotten in the way of date night or something like that. Um, but, you know, she's still going to have the feelings uh, to expect her to just, uh, you know, uh, you know, blithely stand by, you know, smiling and you know, dually into the distance as, as Clark is going off to save the world, that wouldn't be true to her character as well. So, uh, you know, it felt like a very real moment for the character. And again, the, the sort of grown up nature of their relationship that they can, you know, have those words uh, and, uh, and, you know, Clark can make it right by the end. Uh, I think is great. Uh, you know, I, I really, really liked that scene. It felt, you know, as I say, this is, this is fast becoming, you know, with, with all the, the crazy ass shit that's happening over on black lightning, this is becoming the only grown up show uh, on the CW. That's funny. I love that line. <laughs> All the craziest shit that's going on over there. I think the problem with the rest of the CW-verse, and, and the, I'm not including Black Lightning in, in this uh, for the most part, is that uh, the CW-verse is filled with characters that are in their 20s. And we have a show here where the characters are 30-plus. And uh, characters that are 30-plus, just like... Most people in the real world understand that when you're dealing with a relationship, whether it's a romantic one, a friendship, any type of thing that ends in, with ship, communication is key. And, and the, the thing that we've seen thus far with both Clark and Lois on Superman and Lois, even though it, the series is in its infancy, is that they are open communicators. They are willing to have the tough conversations, the serious conversations to, to make sure the other person in the relationship fully understands and, and fully gets what they're feeling. And I thought, as you said, Lois and Clark's scene was incredibly grown, incredibly mature and incredibly real. I mean, it, that was a real life conversation. Um, that line that you uh, referenced professor, you know, I'm going to, feel bad about this tomorrow but this is how i'm feeling like I, I love that she you know backed up her feelings like she stood her ground and uh she you know she she wasn't apologetic about her feelings she was like this is how i'm feeling in the moment you know i might regret it but hey this is how i'm feeling um i really thought that was an incredibly strong moment for both of them because clark's reaction was very real as well i, I mean at the end of the day you know removing the cape and that sort of thing he is a man that's married to a woman and uh he you know they're they're having issues and uh or at least they had an issue and uh she she 
opened her heart and let him know about it. Props to her for that. Let's talk about her and Lana, because this was interesting. Um, I didn't know what they were going to do with both of these characters just initially, because they could have easily have gone the route, this is the ex-girlfriend, oh, does she really want him back? Does she see him as the one that got away? She's having kind of marital problems, this, that, or the other. We know that Clark would never cheat on Lois, but, you know, we kind of think that just because of uh, who the character is and what they could do, because in particular, hey, it's the CW. What did we think of uh, Lana and Lois out on the town having drinks, taking shots, and uh, not commiserating over life, but opening up to each other? And, and are we seeing maybe the spark of a potential friendship here, Professor? Uh, I think so. And and again, I think it's a sign of the, the grown-up nature of this show. They didn't do the easy sort of, you know, resentment. It, you know, it was, you know, Lana was saying, you know, Clark is great. And it's obviously you two are in love, uh, you know, which should take the whole I'm the ex-girlfriend who's going to come and take him away from you off the table. Meanwhile, uh, you know, Lois was saying the same thing about Kyle, even though Kyle, you know, she thinks, you know, Kyle doesn't like her. You know, Lana was saying, well, no, he does, you know, respect that you're willing to stand up for your decisions. Uh, but she was, you know, saying that, you know, the, the two of them, you know, even though they go through some rough times, you know, she was saying, you know, you know, Kyle's, you know, a great guy. So, you know, I think it could easily have gone down the CW route of, you know, uh, you know, uh, tearing down or one of them complaining, oh, my husband doesn't get me. And the other one complaining, my husband doesn't get me either. And uh, and, and going into a, a stew of, of relationship toxicity. But they don't seem to be doing that. Um, you know, they seem to be steering away from that. Even, you know, as I mentioned before, in the relationship between the t- twins, every time it seems like they're t- they're veering into typical CW verse toxicity, they steer out of it. And uh, I'm really enjoying how they do that in this show. And I think, you know, part of why it's, it's why I'm finding it so refreshing is because, you know, it has become such a CW trope of, uh, of, you know, the, the failure to communicate is, uh, is the, the toxicity that affects all of these relationships. Um, so I really like the, their scene together. I thought it was, it was very grown up. It didn't devolve into what I was afraid it was going to be, which was, you know, uh, you know, uh, Lana getting totally drunk and nah, I always had the hots for Clark. I was his first, I should have him back or, Oh, my husband doesn't understand me, blah, blah, <laughs> you know, and, and giving us the payoff, uh, you know, the next morning, uh, with, uh, with Lana, you know, uh, waking up slightly hungover, uh, and, and, you know, Kyle was made, you know, pancakes for the kids and they had that tender moment in front of the window. Um, you know, it was great. You know, it, it, I think, you know, it, it sort of showed again, that grown up sense that, you know, sometimes you just need that night away from your partner to, to vent to someone, uh, and realize what you've got when you come home again. So again, a very grown up take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm enjoying the budding bro TP between Lana and Lois. If this is going to be a friendship, I can dig it. They seemed uh, really fun together. Uh, Lots of great chemistry, and I enjoyed them opening up to each other about what was going on. Um, It's their first time together. There was a part of me in the back of my head I was like, shouldn't Lana talk about maybe the marital problems? But then I was like, she doesn't really know this woman like that. So maybe if, if that becomes an issue on the series if if uh, Kyle and Lana still have problems maybe Lois will be someone that she opens up to um, the, the one thing that I will just ding the scene for is that it would not pass the Bechdel test um, because all they did was talk about men so 
there was that, which it made me just giggle in the back of my head because I was like, I really do like this scene, though. But they are just talking about their uh, significant others, in essence, and another man, Morgan Edge. Uh, well, and mm-hmm. by the way, I think it's important to note that this was the episode where we start to see uh, Lana having some doubts about Morgan Edge. Uh, you yes. Know, oh, we're going to talk about that, that. with her and uh, and her bringing it up with Kyle. So again, that could mean that you know this budding a friendship with uh, with Lois could be turning Alana into more of an ally for Lois uh, in her plot. Yes. Uh, than what we might have expected. I agree with you on that. And let's talk about this. So let's let's move into Lana and let's talk about her major storyline in this episode, which was, as you referenced, her and Morgan Edge. So uh, when um, Edge was with the mayor and with Kyle at the school during the football game, he his eye immediately went to uh, Lana. Who is she? And, oh, she's your wife. Oh, she works for me. Well, she should come to the dinner. And at the dinner, he's zeroed in on Lana and asked her 20 questions, um, clearly based off of the body language, he seemed interested. And at the time, for me, watching this, and this is, I know I'm a dude watching this, like I was like already thinking of just... Um, Morgan Edge as an evil person. He's got powered people, and he kept on talking about, well, I might have a place for you. And I'm like, is he going to try to give Lana powers? Like, that's where my mind went, because I went into, like, the mythology of it all. So so I sort of ignored it as he's into her. Uh, I kept on looking at Kyle, looking at him, but he kind of looked pleased, so it wasn't like he was mad. But I kept on also looking at at Lana, because her facial reaction was uh, unwelcoming of any of it. So she was clearly uncomfortable, and she wasn't cool with uh, Edge at all. Later on, Lana and Kyle do get into it, because Lana was like, you know, he made me uncomfortable, and you didn't do anything about it, this out of the other, and he was basically like, well, what do you, what, you know, I like him, what, do you, what did you want me to do? Did you want me to, you know tell him off or something like that and in essence she wanted him to have her back and he was being completely dismissive of her feelings now she does go out with lois they do a little bit of venting although she doesn't really vent fully about that to lois so um but but whatever it was whether it was lois sort of maybe giving compliments to kyle and that sort of thing when she woke up hungover as as you mentioned she was still a little buzzed and uh, she was very appreciative of Kyle and the breakfast and all that kind of stuff. And they did get a little smoochy, smoochy, smoochy by the window, which th- I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, just because based off of everything we know about uh, Kyle and Lana thus far, they seem to be having marital problems. Uh, we know that he sleeps on the couch uh, regularly, at least in, in recent time. So uh, they're having problems, and um, that was just an interesting moment for Lana and Kyle. And I don't know what it means, but it was an interesting moment. So, uh, Professor, your take on Lana and uh, Edge and Lana with Kyle. I think uh, a very small line uh, at the beginning when uh, when Edge first notices her, I think he refers to her um, as one of mine. Uh, you know, his, mm-hmm. you know, his, his sense that, you know, his employees are his chattel. Um, uh, and, and I think, you know, again, this is, uh, the whole, uh, you know, uh, subplot with her, um, uh, and, you know, her conflicting, uh, with, uh, 
with Kyle is where I really felt the, uh, the, the Trumpian, uh, and, you know, uh, undertones became overtones. Um, you know, he, uh, he, he's clearly someone who's used to getting his own way, having people go along with him. And, and, you know, Kyle, you know, just accepts that because he's successful. And, um, uh, yeah, so I, I, I don't think we're, we're going necessarily into the root of, of him identifying her as a potential target for powers. I think he's, you know, he, he needs to establish a presence in Smallville and having, you know, someone like her, you know, uh, on his side uh, would help with that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I doubt very much that there would, that he was, you know, trying to seduce her, you know, in, in a conventional sense, um, just because that would seem really weird uh, for someone, you know, then again, if we're going Trumpian, who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I think it was more just a power play on his part than anything else, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Uh, I did like that. She conveyed that she was uncomfortable. So maybe she read it that way, which, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see their interactions moving forward. It's kind of uh, fascinating that the Morgan edge character, they being DC seem to be equating him with Trump because um, I haven't seen it, but from what I've read, every review that's talked about Morgan Edge from Wonder Woman 1984 have basically said that he's Trumpian as well. So I'm like, I guess this is, you know, the new character quirk for Morgan Edge. I don't know if he's always been like that. Uh, you know, I don't remember from the comics either, but yeah, I, even though Pedro Pascal and Catherine Bigelow both said that, you know, uh, his version of... Uh, of uh of well he was maxwell lord in the uh, oh yes maxwell lord uh, yes, yes it wasn't morgan edge sorry yeah there, I, morgan I got, edge. Yeah, um, I got but, confused because uh, i'm supergirl yeah, but certainly he seemed trumpian in the sense that you know he was basically you know a, a con artist and, and a manipulator as well as this uh bombastic character uh but in the end maxwell lord was uh was redeemed by his love for his family which again i think would make the argument that he wasn't really a trumpian character well, there's that. Yeah, I got confused because on Super Apologies to roughly 49% of Americans who disagree with us on this. Oh, yes, there you go. Um, yeah, I, I got confused because on Supergirl, we had both Maxwell Lord and Morgan Edge. And so I just yes. got mixed up with the characters. Okay, so let's see. Let's see, where should we go next? Okay, let's talk about Kilgrave. So Superman has superheroics in this episode, and uh, it has to deal with a villain called Kilgrave. In essence, one of, uh, or not one of, but uh, Sam Lane's big beef in this episode is the fact that the higher-ups and whatnot are sort of questioning, you know, why did you leave uh, Metropolis, and they're questioning Clark's slash Superman's moves and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, it's it's leading people, uh, a.k.a. bad people, to wonder if um, Superman is going to be around to protect certain areas, in particular Metropolis, because uh, the, the villains are also noticing the pattern that Superman isn't really around. So... Uh, Sam basically is like, we're, we're moving a lot of the extra nefarious people out of uh, the prison in Metropolis to a sort of, in essence, like a supermax type of prison. It would be nice if you could, uh, you know, guide the convoy and that sort of thing. You know, we have Kilgrave, you know, someone who was radicalized against you and that sort of thing. And then it would be a show of good faith. And Clark is basically like, um, 
well, maybe, you know, as long as, you know, something isn't going around over here, you know, I could potentially possibly help. But uh, in essence, Clark was like, I'm not going to be forced to do this just as a sign of good faith. So things go wrong. There's explosive uh, bubblegum. It isn't really bubblegum. And uh, one, and there's also, what was it, like, it was a little drone that had a recorded message that was there to, um, as like a distraction for Superman. But once we get down to the actual fight, he's got like this, whatever you want to call it, supersonic weapon that is impairing Superman, this, that, or the other. And it looks like Kilgrave has the upper hand. I will also say that Intergang is a thing on Superman and Lois. And um, they were wanting to get this man um, out of prison. Uh, Superman does end up taking him down, which uh, was a nice little moment for him. He does a, like a Hulk clap type of thing. We saw Kara do that over on Supergirl in an episode uh, a couple seasons ago as well. So, Professor, I don't know if this Kilgrave is a big thing in the comics. What did you think of him? Did you think it was just a way to A, show us, um, show, show us seeing like Superman doing super heroics. Do you think this is set up for something, especially because they did drop intel that intergang is a thing? Uh, my guess is it was just, you know, the excuse for some super heroics in the episode, uh, as well as putting him in a situation where those super heroics were a direct uh, conflict, you know, with his, his familial needs, uh, both him not being able to be there for Lois when he was supposed to be there. And, you know, the, the conflict of, uh, you know, uh, when his, his kids called for him. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I'm, I'm guessing this is just going to be a one and done, uh, baddie. Um, uh, and also, you know, one thing that I kind of liked about it was the sense that, you know, um, you know, Kilgrave had him, you know, was, was blasting him with his weapon and all of that. But as soon as, uh, you know, Superman, you know, was able to hear the call from his kids, it was just like, well, screw this. And he just took them all out, uh, you know, probably in a way that, you know, uh, you know, and again, uh, you get the sense that, you know, with Superman, he's always holding back, um, you know, because, uh, you know, he's, he's so used to being invulnerable and, uh, and, and not wanting collateral damage. I think, you know, probably one effect of the clap was that, you know, bystanders might have been injured, uh, whereas, you know, if he hadn't been called away, he probably would have tried to find a way to uh, uh, take down uh, Kilgrave without... Uh, uh, without, uh, you know, anyone else being injured. Um, but, uh, no, I think it, it was really just there, you know, sort of, you know, reinforcing what Sam Lane said. Um, and, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, they have noticed his absence, but I think it was really just there to a, give us our, our dose of super heroics. Cause you got to have some special effects in every episode, but also to do it in a way that took him away from his family, uh, and put him in that situation where he had to decide, okay, do I, you know, take down the bad guy or do I help my family? And, you know, Superman being Superman was able to do both mm -hmm. very true Thaddeus Kilgrave does exist in the comics he's from New Earth um, I wonder if he's related to Zebediah probably not okay so moving right along let's talk about some of the high school shenanigans so the first thing that I want to touch on is uh, is um, is uh, is Jonathan so in this episode, there was a brief little moment that Clark was like, because we've, we saw Jonathan, I would say, throughout the episode. And um, a couple of the characters kept on commenting like, oh, you know, do you think he's okay? This, that, or the other. Um, and Jordan was basically like, oh, don't worry. You know, he, um, he was like popular. He'll be okay. But then Sarah was like, 
Um, you know, it's sometimes the popular kids that have trouble adjusting to being an outsider, which I thought was really interesting insight. Uh, Clark ends up having a discussion with his son. He pulled him aside uh, earlier in the episode and was like, is everything okay? And it looked like he was getting ready to maybe open up a little bit that, you know, it's just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm benched and he's not and this, that or the other. And it didn't really turn into anything which makes me believe that maybe it could turn into something. We've sort of been talking about how, in essence, we've seen his character be really supportive of, um, of Jordan and what he's going through. And uh, we also have seen him to be really... Um, he hasn't been jealous yet of Jordan and everything that's happening to him. I We hope, uh, we've discussed it, that it doesn't go that route. But they did address that a little bit in this episode. And I wonder if Jonathan and his feelings are going to become a larger point in a future episode. I, I wonder if this is set up for something or if it's just... Um, if they're doing this just to reassure us, the audience, that at the end of the day, Jonathan might be um, having, uh, you know, sort of doubts or anything uh, in regards to this, but at the end of the day, he'll be fine. What do you think they're doing with that, Professor? My gut feeling is, is and again, um, what I like and what I've said, you know, I like about uh, Superman and Lois is it's a more mature show. Uh, I think other CW verse shows would have dragged this out over six to eight episodes of, you know, uh, you know, Jonathan increasingly, you know, giving glares and uh, and, and, you know, muttered uh, snarky comments. But I think by the end of this episode, you know, when Jonathan, you know, essentially says uh, to Jordan, look, I, I was, you know, feeling uh, jealous, but you know, it's okay. And I think it's, it's great that, you know, uh, you're doing what you're doing. You're enjoying yourself. Um, I, I think that showed that, you know, he realizes, uh, what he was doing and that, that he was being petty. And therefore I, I have the hope that, you know, they're not going to keep revisiting this because I think it would become very tedious, very fast if he was to go down that route. Uh, I think, you know, uh, I've said, you know, before I'm, I'm really liking his character. I'm finding him a very mature take, you know, on a teenager. And, um, yeah, I, I just hope they, they continue that, um, rather than having him, you know, become the, the petulant, angry teen. Yes, I co-sign that. So hopefully it, it's just, hopefully they're doing this just to reassure us that he is okay and that he's working through any insecurities that he's developing because of what's been going on with Jordan. Um, the other side of his storyline was his involvement with a fellow uh, classmate, a fellow football player named Tag Harris. And some of this was to show us the ramifications and, and the after effects of uh, Jordan when he exhibited his powers at the uh, keg party in whatever that was, the junkyard or, you know, the, the old abandoned mine or whatever the hell it was. Um, so some of that was to show us, you know, that that Jordan causes and it allowed Jordan to express um, 
acceptance and responsibility for his actions. But this also allowed Jonathan to explore, you know, the rest of, of the town, in essence, with this kid, Tag Harris. He, he was really concerned about him. We saw that his hands, uh, his broken arm, I should say, was vibrating, and then it vibrated through the... Um, the the cast because his arm was broken and then everything was fine it looked like he was going to be back a part of the football team but then you know he just kept on vibrating and uh they had to call in superman to help and he did and uh tag was sent to the dod which doesn't sound nefarious at all and he's going to be sent to a school a special school for kids with special abilities which that doesn't sound nefarious at all either uh, we learned that it wasn't because necessarily that um, that Jonathan did any not sorry Jordan did anything to him. It was because uh, I guess there was like yellow phosphorescence near there, and and maybe that's you know that comp- combined with the heat vision and the explosion and all that kind of stuff is is what gave Tag his powers. So this was a small story, Professor, but it was an interesting one because. I think this is going to open the door to the idea of these metahumans within Smallville proper. Uh, we've seen metahumans, we've seen powered people fighting Superman, but the idea that they could be just, you know, Joe anybody from small town B, you know, it's an interesting idea. And I wonder if this is something that they're going to expand upon in the future. Kind of like how initially on Black Lightning, it really was just Black Lightning. And then once the series got into full swing, metahumans were kind of popping all over Freeland. Yeah, I kind of hope they don't go that route because I had the thought when I was, you know, watching it that we were getting, you know, veering pretty close to Smallville where, you know, you'd have the meteor freak of the week. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it kept going for, for 10 seasons. So, you know, uh, don't knock that, I suppose. But uh, to me, I think, you know, the way they, they use Kilgrave here, you can introduce an external uh, super powered force. And, you know, yes, I'm sure there will be a few examples of, uh, of Morgan edge using the X kryptonite, uh, you know, which is what obviously gave tag his powers, um, to, uh, and so some of them might escape into the community or something like that, um, or, or be exhibiting superpowers, but I, I kind of hope they're not going to put too much of the, the super powered heroics in uh, Smallville, just because, you know, it, it's a big world. There's plenty of places for Superman to do his Superman-y stuff. And it would get really weird if he was seen hanging around Smallville an awful lot. Uh, admittedly, if he's there because of other uh, metas showing up, um, I suppose it's acceptable. But, yeah, as I say, I was I was really getting Smallville vibes uh, from that subplot. And, and I hope they don't go that route. It was, it you know, just, it, you know, because, you know, Smallville for all that it was very successful was very much of the long lingering, uh, you know, looks and, and, and grudges and stuff like that, um, that, you know, was was uh, was was Arrowverse prior to being uh, prior to there being an Arrowverse. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of hoping they don't go down that route, even though they obviously could, because, you know, you know, what was in the mine is probably not the only ex kryptonite. So, you know, other people will be exposed to it, et cetera. I think it's far more likely that Kyle would be a, a test subject for the, uh, the ex kryptonite. 
Oh my! Now that's a bold prediction. Uh, it's it's a real one though. So that's uh, that's uh, yeah. That's if cool. you're going to give someone superpowers, you would want to give those superpowers to someone who the utterly loyalist. believes in you, utterly trusts yeah. in you, and isn't completely on your side. The loyalist of the loyal. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Um, just another, just a tiny moment before we head into the MVP. Um, I don't know if you have any other ones that, that maybe I might've missed, but a small little moment, uh, we had Jordan and Sarah continuing to bond. Uh, I mean, we know they're going to get together. So seeing them bonding and being kind of cutesy with each other was kind of nice. So I, I enjoyed that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was cute. And the, uh, the actress playing Sarah, because when they were talking about, uh, uh, going over and rescuing Jonathan and, uh, and Jordan says, give him five minutes. And then, you know, Sarah subtly, you know, repositions herself on oh, yes. the bench she slightly scoots. closer to Jordan than mm-hmm. she'd been before. Uh, very subtle uh, trick. Uh, really liked it. You know, um, you know, she's not throwing herself at the boy, but she's, she's clearly got feelings. And uh, I think they're, again, I like the fact that it's a, it's a slow burn. Uh, you know, they're, they're playing it. Uh, and we have to remember these are young teenagers. So uh, let's not rush it. Uh, CW. Uh, one other little tiny moment that I just loved. It was a, a, a Bitsy Tulloch moment where um, Sam uh, Lane is talking to the, uh, the kids about uh, you know this special school, and uh, uh, one of them, Jonathan or Jordan, asks, "Well, how many kids are in there?" And uh, Sam says, "Well, that's classified." But and then it's like he's going to give that to him, and you could just see this this you know Bitsy Tulloch gives him this look like, "No, you can't give this information away." A, it's classified. B, they don't need to know. Um, it was just you know one of those delightful little you know uh, moments happening you know uh, of of her you know. But, you know, again, from the Sam Lane point of view, you can sort of see that, you know, the grandfather would, you know, well, but I shouldn't say this because it's classified, but I'll tell my grandkids uh, where she's going, no, dad, don't do that. Uh, I thought it was it was it was just, oh, again, one of those very, very small moments, but uh, delightful. Very true. I noticed that moment as well. All right. So it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Since it's just the two of us, we are alternating who goes first. And it's my week to go first. And I'm glad because I'm giving it to Lois. Uh, Bitsy Tulloch was just fantastic throughout the entire episode. She is just an amazing Lois Lane. And for the longest, my favorite Lois Lane has been Terry Hatcher, just because I really loved Lois and Clark, the 90s Superman TV show. In essence, it was a, a an extended romantic comedy with Superman and Lois Lane. And it, it just, it always holds a, you know, a, a, a place in my heart, because it's just a fantastic and fun uh, series. Uh, but Bitsy is becoming a favorite Lois Lane. I don't know if she's going to take over from from Terry Hatcher, at least in the TV world, but uh, she is becoming an incredible Lois Lane. And if you've at all read any of her social media, she is incredibly respectful of the Lois Lane legacy. And she tries to incorporate little Easter eggs, whether it's, you know, just articles of clothing and that kind of stuff that might've been seen in the comics. Um, yeah, her love for Lois is spectacular and it shines through in her performance. I, I loved her with Edge, with uh, Lana and uh, with uh, her father and, and her hubby this episode. She's just fantastic. Professor, what about you? 
Uh, well, first, my favorite Loises are probably Margot Kidder and then Erica Durant. Um, uh, but Betsy Tillich is it, but she's Betsy Tillich hasn't been doing it nearly long enough for me to uh, to worry about to to think about where she ranks uh, uh, on there. But she's she's definitely I'd say she's up there right behind Margot Kidder right now. Um, oh. you know, very different takes on the character, but both, you know, confident, smart. Uh, figures that you can you can you, the thing about Lois uh, and some a friend of mine said this after the Superman Returns movie is that you have to look at Lois and think that this is the woman that he would give everything up for. She has to be that great, and uh, I, I do get that feeling uh, from Bitsy Tullock that yeah, this is someone that Clark obviously fell for. Uh, she's got all these great qualities, and I think Bitsy Tullock is doing a really great job of showing that week after week. Uh, but uh, mine will be um, uh, well, Clark. Uh, you know, uh, you know. I, I think he had a very strong episode. You know, his scene with Lois. You know, he's he's realizing. You know, uh, you know. And previously, you know, we we dealt with you know him him you know feeling you know his his failings as a father potentially, and and here he's feeling you know failing as uh, as a husband, even though what he was doing was really really important. He you know, doesn't like to let people down. He certainly doesn't like to let his family down. Uh, and, you know, sort of making things right uh, with her uh, at the end of it, uh, I thought was really good as well. Oh, and one other, you know, little micro scene of, uh, of, uh, of Clark where, you know, he, you know, was, you know, sort of showing himself as Clark, not as Superman, uh, was uh, in that opening uh, football scene uh, where Jordan, you know, uh, does cause the fumble. And, you know, they cut to the, the sidelines where, you know, Clark and, uh, and Jonathan are just jumping up and down like any father and brother would, uh, you know, after, uh, after, you know, their, the, the son or the brother makes a great play on the field. So it felt very real to me. And, and I thought he was great. Just to wrap up the love for Bitsy Tulloch, uh, that small little moment, since we're talking about him, um, the end when, uh, Clark flies off as Superman to save the world, she blows him a kiss. It was a tiny moment. Wasn't even needed, whether it was Bitsy that, that thought of it or she was told to do it, uh, whomever thought of it. It was just a tiny moment to show how much Lois loves Clark. Yep, spectacular. All right, we're going to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 red capes? The point system is loud, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in The Fortress of Solitude. I'll go first again, and I'm going to give it an 8.75. I was going back and forth in my head over it because I was like, I don't think it, it, it's it's enough yet for like a nine, but I felt like an eight point five in my brain at least. It just seemed too small. Um, I did enjoy the episode. It's very rewatchable. A lot of small, really interesting character moments. The plot was really good in all of the storylines. So yeah, I'll give it an eight point seven five. Professor, what about you? I'll give it a nine, uh, mainly for, as I've said before, the the maturity, the grown up way that they're telling the stories, not just with Lois and Clark, but, you know, rounding out Sam's character, uh, you know, the relationship between uh, Jonathan and uh, and Jordan, uh, very mature. And also we did get the, the you know, sort of, you know, one of the big reveals of the season, which is this ex-Kryptonite, which is obviously going to be an important thing going forward, explains what Morgan Edge uh, has been doing uh, in Smallville and what he was presumably doing in those other communities uh, that he has uh, guided in the past. Uh, so I think that was an important reveal uh, for us. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, like, just a, a really good, fun episode uh, that was, was very mature and grown up. So I'll give it a solid nine. And on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Smallville Gazette. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. 
We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Small Hill Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Good night. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Smallville Gazette every Thursday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio archives. Good night.